Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. This is week three in our, city, our series called City on a Hill, the church that can't be hidden. And so trying again to accomplish two things with this series, just as a reminder, we're trying to remember and go deeper in our identity in Christ. So who we are in Christ and what Jesus Christ has done to transform and change us. And then we're trying to get a good understanding of the kind of disciples Jesus wants us to be and has given us the power to be. And so as we step into John 15, I believe we're going to see that. And so as we get going, I just want to share one of the things that I like a lot is clear instructions. I value really clear instructions. My favorite part of flying outside of, you know, being at the window and sort of snapping pictures is when the flight attendants are telling you what to do in an emergency. That is actually my favorite part because I'm thinking if I'm going to be 35,000 feet up in the air going 800 kilometers an hour, however fast that thing goes, in a tube with a bunch of people I've never met and a, a person flying who I've never met. So I'm entrusting my life to this person. And you notice you never actually see them. They just kind of slip in the back. So I'm thinking if I'm going to do that, I need to make sure I pay attention to what happens in an emergency. I want to know, and what I love and value so much is that the instructions are always clear. They're invested in it. They want to make sure you know what to do. The same way flight attendants can be very clear in instructions, Jesus is very clear to us in this passage on how we bear fruit. He's very clear. Romans 7 verse 4 says, we are saved that we may bear fruit for God. Think about that. We are saved for this. Disciples do this. We're saved to bear fruit for God. We can do it and we should do it. I want to put a list up on the screen because I like lists just to help you. Here are some fruits that we can bear as Christians. We can bear a passionate worship of Jesus Christ. That is a fruit that we can bear. We can bear sacrificial service. That's a fruit we can bear. We can, we can bear the fruit of a desire and a willingness and a doing of sharing our faith. We can bear the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of these things, we can bear these types of fruit. Here's our main idea today. Jesus wants us to bear fruit, so he tells us how. That's the main thing we need to go away with. Jesus wants us to bear fruit, so he tells us how. See, fruit bearing is a crucial part of being a city on a hill. Fruit bearing is a crucial part of a church that wants to be visible, that wants to be seen. Jesus wants this to happen in our life. And so he's going to answer. We're going to ask him two questions, and he's going to answer them for us. We're going to ask him, how do we bear fruit, and why should we want to do it? 
Jesus is going to answer for us how we bear fruit and why we should want to do it. Just think about this. Think about the difference that fruit bearing, if you were to do those things that were up on the screen, if you were to actually engage in those things, what kind of difference would it make in your relationships? What kind of difference would those sorts of fruits make in your spending, in your viewing habits, in your work, in this church, in the way you use social media, interact with that? The way, what kind of fruit would we see if we did this to see people come to Christ? How would our lives change? And how would the lives of the people around us change if we actually committed to do this? I think it's gonna, it would change in amazing ways. And so let's listen to Jesus on this. He says in verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. How do we bear fruit? Answer number one, through God's pruning. It's through God's pruning. Jesus says he is the true vine. He says, I am the true vine. Now to understand that statement, we actually have to look back into history. Specifically, we have to look back into the history of Israel. See, in the Old Testament, the people of Israel were called God's vine. And when you look at the way they lived, we see so clearly why they needed Jesus to come. Psalm 80 says, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. So this is speaking of when God rescues the people of Israel out of Egypt. He rescues them from slavery, and it says that he plants them. And Isaiah 5, verse 7 says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. There was a certain way that they were supposed to live. It says God looked for justice from them and he saw bloodshed for righteousness and behold, an outcry. Jeremiah 2 verse 21 says, you, yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? What the Bible makes clear is that the people of Israel, they did not produce the fruit that God was expecting of them and that led to God uprooting them when you read when you read their history and he sends them into exile. Jesus declares that he is the true vine, that he is the true Israel, because he succeeded where the people failed. With his perfect life, Jesus bore the fruit of obedience. He did all that God required, and he fulfilled the promise that was said about him, Isaiah again. 11 says, there shall come forth a shoot from a stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. Jesus fulfills all that is required perfectly. He is the perfect fruit bearer. He did all that was required of Israel and all that was required of us. And when we believed the gospel, what happened was we were grafted into the vine. When we trusted in Christ, what happened was we were, we were brought into the vine and now we are his branches. And as his branches, God the Father prunes us. Jesus tells us who he is. He says, I'm the vine. He tells us who we are. We are the branches. And he says, my father is the vine dresser. He prunes us, verse two, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. 
Notice God prunes us that we bear more fruit. There's an aim. There's a purpose to what God is doing. See, pruning of God can sometimes be painful. But it's always loving. The pruning of God can sometimes be painful, but it's always loving. It's like exercise, right? Right? I mean, we all exercise on some level. Yogi's going, no, I don't. But it's like exercise. Sometimes in the middle of it, you're like, this hurts. But what happens after? You see the benefits of that. When a gardener prunes, it's to take away things that are inhibiting growth. See, in God's providence, he allows things to come into our life that has a pruning effect on us. That could be migraines. That could be unemployment for a season. That could be persecution at home or at work. It could be singleness for a while. All those things. And what we've got to remember when we are experiencing the pruning of God, that it's not without an aim. That it's going somewhere. That God is doing a thing in your life that is good. That God is actually working to grow us to spiritual maturity. You know that the Bible never promises Christians comfort and ease? Never does. And we talked last week about how prosperity preachers sometimes can present that to us. Like our life is always supposed to be easy. That every day is a Friday, but today is Sunday. The Bible never promises comfort and ease, though there are moments of that, that we do have times of moments of comfort and ease. That does happen. But what the Bible promises, what God promises to us is sanctification. That is what's promised. And when it's happening, we've got to know that God is working for my good. Hebrews says this. This this passage is actually hanging in our house, in our living room, because I, I just need this reminder all the time. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. This is so important. God is treating you as sons and daughters. For what son is there whom there, the father does not discipline? This is so important. If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, even Jesus Christ, then you are an illegitimate child, children and not sons. Think about that. If the discipline, if the pruning effect of God never happens in your life, you're not a son or a daughter. He disciplines us for our good. Here it is. That we may share in his holiness. It has an aim. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, but later, but later, but later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It has an aim. What God is doing is good. And in those painful times, we've got to remember, I am not being punished by God. All of that punishment for my sin, all of that was poured out on Jesus Christ. All of that was on him. He paid for all of it on the cross. What is going on is that God is sanctifying us. That is working to grow us in holiness. God is treating us as sons and daughters, making us more like Jesus Christ. That is the aim. That is the aim. And in the middle of it, we should be willing to say, God, this hurts. 
I don't actually like what you're doing. It's okay to be honest with God. He knows it anyway. I don't like what you're doing, but give me the strength and endurance to bear up under it because I know you mean this for my good. This is not without an aim. That's the first way this applies to us. But here's a really important secondary application to parents and those who are not parents. Here's a way this applies to parents. God shows all parents that discipline has to have an aim. Discipline of a child has to have an aim. And the aim must always be for the good and maturity of the child. Discipline of a child is not a chance to vent our anger. It's not, a, it's not an opportunity to abuse the authority that God has entrusted to us. It's an opportunity to help the child to know that it's wise and good to obey their parents and trust their parents. All discipline must be do- done with love, tenderness, respect, and compassion for the child. Because the child is an image bearer of God. Entrusted to the parent's care. The child belongs to the Lord, and so we look after the child. And you're like, I'm not a parent. Well, here's how it applies to you. Pray for parents. Serve them by praying for them. Pray that they would abide in Christ. All good parenting starts with abiding. All good parenting starts with being at the feet of Jesus Christ, pleading with him, asking you to help him be Be salt and light to your child. Pray for that for parents. Serve them in this way that they would bear the fruit of good, solid parenting. We bear fruit through the loving pruning of our father, but that's not the only way. Look at verse four. It says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. How do we bear fruit? Answer number two, through our abiding. It's through our abiding. Jesus gives us the key principle for fruitfulness. He says, abide. Without this, we will not be able to produce the fruit of the spirit that is desired. See, a car can't drive without gas or a battery. Trees can't survive without sap. The body can't survive without blood. Believers cannot produce fruit without Jesus Christ. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And what Jesus is saying here is that apart from me, you can't accomplish anything of spiritual value. See, we can accomplish lots of things without Jesus. There's people doing that right now. It's of the things of spiritual value, the things that will last into eternity. We cannot do that without abiding in Jesus. We can't be a city on a hill. We can't be salt and light without abiding. Before we go off to work, we should abide. Before we check that social media status, we should abide. Before we go hanging with our friend group, we should abide. Abide, 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 abide. That is what Jesus Christ is saying so that we can bear good fruit when we go doing those things. Abiding simply means spending time with Jesus in his word. The Christian who abides in Christ believes, trusts, relies on, and rests in what Jesus Christ has done for them on the cross. They go there again and again and rehearse and renew themselves in the gospel and what it means to be 
saved. We draw near to him and rest in the reality that he has made us clean. Look at verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. That word clean in Greek is actually the same word as prune. It's the exact same word. And so what is going on here is we're giving the already and, and the not yet reality of Christians. There's an already aspect to us and then a not yet. We are pruned in one sense. That means we're saved. We're regenerated. We're made new. We're giving a new heart. And we are being pruned. That means we're being sanctified. We are pruned and we are being pruned. And as we grow in sanctification, as we come under that, we will see the fruit of the Spirit growing in our lives. Jesus tells us the positive effects of abiding. But here's what's so good about Jesus. He honestly tells us the negative effects of not doing it. See, this is... This is so important for us to always keep in mind. Jesus always spoke the truth in love. And that meant he didn't tell you some of the truth. He told you all of the truth. And so he tells us, here's what your life will look like if you abide and trust in me. But he also tells you what your life looks like if you do not. Look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Jesus here is talking about people who say they believe, but they really don't. That's what's going on in context. The fruit of their lives show that they actually aren't trusting in Christ. When you are reading the Gospel of John, something to pay attention to, just good Bible interpretation, good sense of what is going on, John is always saying there's a kind of belief that's a saving belief, and there's a kind of belief that's completely superficial. And so what John is saying is not all belief is true belief. And that is what Jesus is doing here. And in context, again, because it's always good for us to think and understand and interpret our Bibles in context, the person who should come to your mind right now in context is Judas. Jesus is with his disciples. This part, Jesus is about to go give his life for us. And what he's doing is he's giving them a long, good discourse. He's explaining all kinds of things to them. And Judas has already gone off. Judas has gone off to bear the fruit that shows that his profession of faith was false. Judas says he believed in Jesus, but the fruit of his life was greed. Again, you read the Gospels, what do you see? He's actually stealing from the money bag. He, was, he, he loved money. The fruit of his life was greed. The fruit of his life was betrayal. He turned on his friend and friends when he gave up Jesus. The fruit of his life was, was worldly grief, not godly grief that led to true biblical repentance when he hangs himself. The fruit of his life showed that it was a false profession. And Jesus says that people who live like this, people who do this, will face eternity in hell. And we, again, I was thinking all week, like, how am I going to say this? Like, it's not easy just to say that. 
I asked my small group, I'm like, please pray for me. I'm like, I'm afraid. And then you know what God taught me on Saturday as I was home yesterday, I guess? I just got this clear sense that a fear to talk about hell is only thinking about myself. Being afraid of saying what is true is really, I'm only thinking about me. The only person I'm loving is me because I'm afraid of what people will think or what they'll say. It's completely self-centered. It's only thinking about myself because if I believe this to be true and that the Bible teaches this, why wouldn't I want to tell everyone there's a way to avoid this? But to tell somebody that they, they can avoid this, you first have to tell them it's real. And Jesus says it. See, the idea of hell is offensive to some people. And people ask the question, how can a loving God, there goes my notes, it's coming back up. See, I'm not just up here making stuff up. How can a loving God send people to hell? They ask that question. A really good friend of mine, I got a, a guy that I got to marry, uh, not marry him. <laughs> I married him and his wife. I was standing there. Okay. He wrote a really clear and helpful statement on this. His name's Steve Rosma. He says, we live in a society where it's impolite, even intolerable to speak of the wrath of God coming upon mankind. It is simply another topic swept under the rug in our disregard of uncomfortable truth. However, we as Christians must understand that God's wrath is not a defect in God's character, but a necessary outworking of his perfections of justice, goodness, and love. God's perfections and God's wrath are two sides of the same coin. This is so important here. God delights in himself as the fullness of justice, goodness, and love, and is therefore angered when those who created, created in him to image him wreak havoc on the world and on themselves. That little statement is so important. See, when we sin, we're wreaking havoc on the world, but we're also wreaking havoc on ourselves. That is a clear and true Reality, by turning from his justice to injustice, from his goodness to evil, and from his love to hate. God is not apathetic towards the evils of this this world, but has dealt with them in Christ. We are faced with a choice, so important. Bear the wrath of God ourselves or trust in the one who bears it in our place. Jesus Christ can stand in our place. This is why the fruit of evangelism should be so important to us. This is why we should want to bear this fruit. We should want to share our faith because as we're doing that, we are giving the person in front of us, even though it's uncomfortable to tell them the truth, we are giving them an opportunity to trust Christ and have him stand in their place, that they don't have to face God on their own. And we should bear this fruit. Jude 1 Verse 2 says that we are to save others by snatching them from the fire. Jude 1 verse 2. You are snatching people back from the fire. Why we should want to share our faith. Give people an opportunity to have Jesus stand in their place. And as we think back to Judas, as we come back to Judas, it comes back to us. And a very important lesson for us is that just saying we believe in Jesus is not enough. For 25 years of my life, I I believe, I would tell you, I believed in Jesus. I could walk you through Gospels. But I was not a Christian. 
the fruit of my life, made that very evident and clear. Saying we believe is not enough. It's the fruit that we bear in our lives that say if we have been truly changed and transformed. And what we learn here is that a false profession of faith is extremely dangerous. But a true profession leads to beautiful fruit. It happens through God's pruning. It happens through our abiding and also through our praying. Through our praying, look at verse seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We're supposed to abide in Jesus, but we're supposed to let the word of Jesus abide in us. Colossians 3 says we are to let the word of Christ, Colossians 3.16, dwell in us richly. That means intentional times, carving out times. And I've never been a a person who's like, you got to read your Bible at 5.30 in the morning. Kim looked at me this morning and she's like, you are not a morning person. I'm like, you are correct. (laughs) I'm always an advocate of read your Bible when you're awake and you can comprehend it. However that looks in your life, that is what you do. But there's supposed to be an intentional allowing the word of God to seep into us, to wash over us, to renew us, to remind us of the truth of who we are and what God has done for us. The word of Christ in us shapes our prayers. We will pray from a life that is shaped by the Bible. See, the, Jesus here gives his disciples an amazing promise. You see it? The promise is, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now it's important to know that this isn't this blank check. Notice that Jesus says, if my word is in you. It's a promise to answer prayer that is according to his word. Prayer that is guided by his priorities, not our own. Prayers like this will be answered by God according to his purposes and in his perfect timing. And that's also important for us to remember. God always answers prayer according to his purpose and his timing, not according to our purposes. We are here for him. And when our prayers are informed by the priorities of Jesus, here's some of the ways they will look on the screen. We'll find ourselves praying for believers to live spirit-led lives. When we're praying the priorities of Jesus, we're praying for non-Christians to come to Christ. We're praying for opportunities to care for the poor and the marginalized, who Jesus says are always with us. We're praying for those things. We're praying for God to give us grace to stand firm in our faith. And nowadays, it's not easy, it's not fun anymore to just be a Christian. You don't walk in the room like, I'm a Christian, and everyone at Starbucks is like, yeah! They're like, so we pray for grace to stand firm in our faith. We ask for Jesus, uh, for us to show compassion in our broken world, for opportunities to, for, for, for unity, sorry, and love among Christians in local churches and around the world. So important. I'm always trying to get on this horse in the three weeks that we've had a church to say that unity and love is very important to us. This knowing one another is very important here. We want to build strong relationships with each other and we want to pray that that happens in this church and other strong gospel preaching churches in our city and around the world and for the church to have an effective effective witness in the world. 
Notice how outward those prayers are. When you pray the priorities of Jesus, you're not always just praying for yourself. Because you're focused and you believe that as I pray for others, Jesus is going to look after my needs because he knows them all anyway. There's an outward focus to our prayers. F.B. Meyer said, the secret to power in prayer is to live closely enough to Christ that our own desires expressed in prayer have been molded by his word. So close to Jesus. When we pray, Charles Spurgeon says, we have the king's ear. Think about that. The God of the universe who's ruling and reigning, you have his ear. And that's why prayer is so important to us as a church. We do not want to do anything without God and without his help. When you walk in, the first banner you should see, it says, we believe firmly in the power and necessity of prayer. We believe it's powerful and that it's necessary, that it's required. So we want to do it. Sometimes I'm at the park and I see, you know, a parent just trying to love their child, help them do something. And what do you see the child do? No, I can do it. No, leave me alone. And in one sense, you're like, I appreciate the independence. But truthfully, when we don't pray, that's what we're saying to God. I can do it. Leave me alone. It's an act of pride. It's arrogance. We're saying, I don't need your help. I, won't, I, I don't think I'm as weak as you say I am. I don't think you, I need you to the degree that you say that I do. And God's like, you do. That's why you have my ear. We want to be a praying church. And some of the things that we're committed to as a church is monthly prayer meetings. We're going to do those things. Come together and cry out to God for help. We're committed to a prayer walk each year through our community to pray for this neighborhood that we would be an effective witness and help here. We're going to have pre-service prayer. And that's why we have the connection card. Honestly, I want you, everyone to fill those out. Like we pray, we, I legitimately pray for those on Monday. And hopefully at some point I'll get more help. But I, I want to pray and we want to pray for you guys. And so you need to fill those out. We want to celebrate with you what God is doing in your life. And we want to pray and ask God to help you for the needs that you have because we have the king's ear. And so we do it. All molded and shaped by the word of Jesus. Because praying like this will get answered and lead to us bearing much fruit individually and corporately as a church. See, when we pray, we are declaring our dependence on God. Prayer is the way that we clothe ourselves, the Bible says, in humility. You know, put your pants on, zip your jacket up. We put it on. When we pray, we are, we are walking and stepping into humility. Jesus tells us how to bear fruit, and then he tells us why we should want to do it. Verse 8, by this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Why should we want to bear fruit? To glorify God, is our final point, and show we are his. We should want to bear fruit to bring glory to God and show we belong to him. Our fruit brings glory to God. And glorifying God simply means living in such a way that people know God is real. 
living in such a way that people praise God for what is happening into, in your life, living in such a way that the fame of God spreads all through the world. When people see the fruit in your life, it challenges the doubt that they have. And God gets glory because it's really him working in us. Philippians 2 verse 13 says, God who works in us for his good pleasure. The fruit we bear is truly God causing that fruit to be produced. It's God who makes our faith visible. It's God who makes us a city on a hill as we live guided by the word of Jesus Christ every day. A wedding ring shows that a person belongs to someone. Bearing fruit shows that we belong to Jesus, that we belong to him. And as a church, we should want everyone to know this again. Jesus reminds us of the importance of our public witness. We've been talking about this as a city on hill. We don't want to be a church that hides. We want to be out there for the glory of God. Bearing fruit makes us visible. Jesus wants us to bear fruit, so he tells us how. The instructions are clear. And then he gives us gospel motivation. Jesus tells us what to do, and then he motivates us by the gospel. Look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus gives us a command. He says, abide in my love. He says, rest in my love. Rest in what I have done for you on the cross. That is where we see the love of Jesus Christ the most. When we, when we think about what it took, what he gave in order to save us, that he left heaven, all the riches it says that he has in heaven, he gave all that up. He became poor so that by his poverty we might become rich in salvation. When we think about that, we see and know the love of Jesus Christ. John 15 says, greater love is none than this, and someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus Christ was a friend to us because he gave his life for us. And he says now, bear fruit for the world to see. Bear the fruit of the passionate worship of Jesus Christ. Bear the fruit of sacrificial service. Bear the fruit of evangelism. Bear the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness, all those things. Bear them all for the glory of Jesus Christ. Show that you are truly changed and transformed by him as you submit to the Spirit every day, doing all of these things for God's glory and not to gain his love. We don't do these things to gain his love. We do them because we are loved by him. Because we already have his love. The gospel motivates us to live in such a way that brings glory to God and leaves no doubt in anyone's mind who we belong to, that we are his. The instructions are clear. Let's pray that we would do it. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your word that tells us all that we need to know, reminds us even sometimes of the things we've forgotten, and always shows us grace, specifically in your son, Jesus Christ, who says, abide in my love. Jesus 
commands us to rest in the reality of what he has done for us on the cross, that he gave all for us and now calls us to live in such a way that shows the world that we belong to him. I pray you would help us, O God, to live like this and to live in such a way that as we do it, it challenges the doubt that are in the people's minds who we interact with. It, it forces them to consider that there is a God who is real, a God who has the ability to change and transform people in ways that we can't even imagine. Lord, you can do that. You have done that in the hearts of so many in these chairs. And Father, you've transformed our heart and you've given us your Holy Spirit who empowers us now to bear fruit for your glory. God, we are saved to do this. Please help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.